Well, hello there. I'm Karen Sander. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly, a program for the over 50s, those uniquely wonderful baby boomers. My aim is to educate, motivate and inspire you to embrace the exciting journey of life for decades to come. So stay tuned to meet a variety of guests who will share their stories and passions to help us gain insight into the ways to live a happier, healthier life. Welcome everyone to the Aging Fearlessly program. I'm Karen Sander and I left Sydney 18 weeks ago for a short stint in the Warren Bungles. However, COVID decided to throw a spanner in the works and send life as I'm used to into absolute chaos. Being away from Sydney left me in a unique position of having some freedoms, unlike my colleagues and friends at home. We were left with the choice to return to Sydney and lock down or keep going. We chose the latter because how long is a piece of string? The lockdown might be a long, long time and it has been. In the meantime, our journey has taken us across the border, just like Mexicans. However, we are officially COVID refugees. We continued north as far as Bundaberg. However, there was no room for us. Everywhere was booked out. There were refugees like us every which way you turned. So we turned towards the sunset and continued to drive. And this week we drove 1200 kilometers into Longreach, where we stumbled on a local gent, Richard Kinnan, the founder of the Outback Pioneers. Now for those who know me, the next bit goes without saying, I can't resist a chat. Perhaps I should adopt my old nickname, Lover Chat. You all know what I did, yes. I coerced him into recording this podcast. Welcome, Richard. G'day. <laughs> Richard, I not only stumbled on any local, but I stumbled on the founder of the Outback Pioneers and a local farmer. Would you mind sharing a bit about you, your family, and the Outback Pioneers? Well, thank you, and it's very, um, very special to be able to tell um, my story, not only my story, but uh, my, my family story, because without a family behind you, there's no way um, we would get to where, where we are today and probably where we could be going. So I guess it all comes back to that, the ones that are behind you and the ones that probably push you to do it. And it, there's no options really because for us to um, hold our grazing lands, we're graziers, we're not farmers. We're probably we're probably um, not a farmer's bootlace, but because we only we, we graze cattle, beef cattle, and, and merino sheep, so we're wool growers. Um, so all of our lands are grazing lands, and um, without um, without doing what we do and pushing each other and to our limits and and being there for each other. 
there's no way we would still be here in this land, you know, because it's it's been in the last, we're in a 11 year drought here. And um, that might sound unbelievable to you, but it it is the case. Well, when I'm driving through the countryside, because yesterday Colin and I drove up to Winton and back, it is so dry. Yeah, and I mean, even though we've been getting our five and six inches, our annual rainfall is normally 17 inches. And for the last 10 years and going on 11 years, we've only been getting five, not much more than five inches. And the, the land gets thirstier and thirstier and every year it's a little bit worse and to the point where a lot of our grazing lands hasn't the capacity anymore to even support the kangaroos that we we farm and manage or you know we we graze and manage through you know uh, what we do so a lot of our livestock are away on adjustment and got them on other parts of the country and we have to just take what's dished up to us and sidestep and duck and weave. It's like playing a game of football really <laughs> because it's all about being nimble and, and um, ducking and diving. You mentioned grazing, I called your farmer. I mean that's my ignorance as to, I'm a city person, born and bred in Sydney. I did live in Armadale for a while when I was studying teaching, but most of my life has been sent, spent in the city. Some of these farms, like your farm, how far out of Longreach are you? So our home station, we call them stations. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm just... Our, I'm just so my, wrong here. <laughs> my, my home station, it's about 100 kilometres out of Longreach. There are stations out here and, and, and our, the farming country starts further over, over the range. We call it the inside country. This is, this is the outback here and they're stations. So um, uh, our, my home station where, where we've brought our children up and what we call our home, um, it's about 100 kilometres out of Longreach, um, which, don't get me wrong, that's, that's pretty good. There's lots of, lots of families, station, you know, station people that are three and four hundred kilometres out of their closest centres, you know, especially when you go further north here and further west. So. Um, we we are we are the townies of the outback really i love it the townies of the outback oh my god so so yeah don't go thinking that's too too um romantic um <laughs> it's, it's not very romantic um and living on those bigger stations the ones further out that's probably not real romantic either but it's all we all we know and it's all we um we don't when you don't know anything different well it's probably pretty good how big is your station uh the the home station is um about 30 30,000 acres and then we've got one that's next to that more or less that's another 35,000 acres but that's our living area 
sorry at all in Tasmania you probably need you know a thousand acres to do the same job so do, do you see what I'm saying yeah yeah I do people get people we get we get some backpackers come through and they just think it's incredible you know like they they think it's something very um, you know, romantic it's a glass of wine and the sunset and the dirt and the yeah, kangaroos. Yeah, but it's all, it's all relevant. It's, it's all, all relevant. relevant. If I were to drive across 30,000 acres, I don't know how you do How long does it take to drive well, across? Well, in a sense, all of these stations have got their water points. So they're all where they're livestock waters. So every second day here in summer especially, we have to do what we call a water run. So every water point's got to be checked. This livestock's got to be checked and there's no sick ones and there's no um, broken pipes or troughs or windmills or whatever so every second day we only get we only that's um, that's even stretching it in the summer because our days are 46 degrees in the heat in the shade I should say 46 degrees in the shade so you get out there in the Sun and you're up over 50 and you know and, and livestock if you've got a water problem, they only got 12 hours and they're really, really thirsty. They're past thinking. So, uh, to, 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 to answer your question, for us to do a water run, that's like around, uh, around the property, you know, pretty much driving through our property. And um, that's the best part of six, the seven hours straight driving. Holy macaroni! Um, <laughs> by the time you, by the time you Stop, do your surf work and that sort of wow, stuff. Wow, it's um. So it's like jumping in the car, I guess, and driving to Rockhampton. It's a concept that it's hard to grasp, but that's mm. the land that you graze on. <laughs> and I imagine right now it's not looking fabulous. It's um, it's looking very, very sad, but it's not unusual. It's um, it's how it is. In 1905, it was they had it um, a 12-year drought. Then in the 30s, they had one. In the 50s, they had one. In the 70s, they had one. So, so it's a common thing. So it's we just know it's this country out here is a little bit like. And I often say this, it's a little bit like that poem of the little girl that had a curl in the middle of the forehead. When she was good, she was very, very good. And that's what this Can country's like. Can I finish like. it? And when she was bad, she, she was, horrid. was horrid. I love that poem. And that there is exactly what this country is. When it's good, there's no place on earth like it. The grazing lands are second to none. But when it's when it decides to have a bit of a spell, she gets a bit tough. She just really wants to show you who's boss. So it was back, you know, it was that's that what I realised we had to do something else and diversify. So I got in my head it might have been easier milking a grey nomad than <laughs> milking a cow. Does that make sense? <laughs> but the problem is a lot of the grey nomads are pretty dry. Um, you don't get a lot out of them, but no, every little bit. It's not 
that that's the big thing that keeps us going. It's the moral support. That's really what it's all about because we will never, we're not in it for making money. If anybody comes into this part of the world thinking they're going to make money and make a quick dollar, they're not here very long. They're in with a roar and out with a whisper. Have you ever heard that? You kind of think, where'd happen to old Jackie that was coming, was going to do all this and Jackie disappeared. He just kind of gone out the back door somewhere. And But we're here because it's all we know. It's who we are. And having our older people or our older generation, the retirees, our grey nomads, whatever you want to call them, um, coming and wanting to share with our, with, with the, sharing our stories, they take interest in what we do, it helps us like you wouldn't believe. It's the mental or the moral support they give us. Community, how important is your, the, the local community? Well, it's, it's very, very, it, it's just what I'm talking. And, and I, I regard our travelling people coming through as our community as well, because this town, the likes of Longreach, wouldn't be here if it wasn't for our travelling people. And a lot of them grey nomads, but you know what else I noticed? There's a lot of young families with kids. Well, I say it, if I don't say it every day, I say it every other day, that, and, and you'll see a young family travelling with young kids, and, and I always try to make it my point to, to talk with those parents and thank them for bringing the kids out here because I believe it's the it's the biggest and best investment they can be they can be doing and putting giving their kids because for those kids, especially kids from 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 eight to twelve in that age bracket, um, they come and they see real people, they see the real landscape, they see the real things, and that relates to uh, we now call our company um, Outback Pioneers. And that's for more reasons than one. Because Outback Pioneers specialises in immersion tourism. Mm. So we can put uh, those, those parents with those young kids on the Cobb and Co coach and we can take them down an original mail track and we're in six inches of bulldust where the horses are fed chaff and you know what that means when you heat a horse chaff he has to get rid of that <laughs> so the kids are actually seeing that they're seeing the bulldust they're seeing the flies they're seeing they're seeing real people doing doing it and telling the stories and and I can I can tell you and I tell this to the parents they will remember different things whether it's a smell or a taste or a uh, someone they heard and watched and heard the storytelling or saw the saw it in poetry or whatever, they that will be with them for the rest of their life. Well, I know you're absolutely right because memories are they yeah. they are with you. You carry yeah. them everywhere, and I think learning there's no better education. You can't teach someone 
in school, a child in school, what the outback's like if they haven't experienced it. And, and gosh, I love what you're doing. And, and I've loved seeing the kids around. We saw the kids in Winton Cinema the other night in the yep. Royal Theatre laughing at the slapstick comedy on screen. And we had a better night listening to their belly laughs at all this old-fashioned stuff, this old-fashioned movies, than we did watching it ourselves. It was just brilliant, the experience. So it really does just showcase the Australian spirit. It's the it's the Australian spirit. That's how that was born. Like I mean, if we don't, as a grazier out in this part of the world, in the middle of Australia, if we don't, if we can't laugh at ourselves, if we can't um, make fun of it, of what's happening and the challenges that we come up against, we wouldn't be here. No. As a young child growing up, were you on the station you're on now? What no, was... my brothers are on that country, um, so um, that was over the range. Uh, but they were still, it was still 100% grazing, beef cattle, it wasn't sheep country. So 20 years ago, I brought my young family out here and come over here, uh, come over the range out into this part of the world. So, um, yeah, I had an incredible, uh, like an incredible childhood um, life, there was no doubt. Um, I didn't see too many classrooms. I saw a classroom for a little bit. Uh, Mum and Dad sent my older brother away to boarding school, because that's a kind of done thing with the families out here in the bush. He gave them so much trouble, like, They'd, they'd go and drop him, they'd drive him seven, eight hours to Rockhampton and drop him off there and they'd have to come back because of fires or drought or whatever. And they'd open the boot up when they got back to the station to pull their luggage out and walk into the homestead and who should jump out the boot but me brother. So they caused them so much grief. Well, he kind of really did point out, well, he didn't have to go to boarding school. And so he got out of it in a sense because of being a, being, being a, been doing what he did. And then they being tried, yeah, they tried sending me, well, I come down with stomach ulcers and, you know, but they didn't really send me to a boarding school. They sent me to one of my aunties, that, uh, auntie and uncles that lived in a city and they were going to, they thought they'd try that. Mum and dad thought they'd try that scenario but I couldn't handle that I, I um, ended up back home so that was only for a few months but the rest of the time we just did School of the Air and correspondence and mum taught us most of those times and then you know poor old mum she she had men to cook for and, and um, us to teach and all the rest of it and had a lot on a plate and then at one part they decided to um, they decided that they'd try governess, you know, try to governess. Well, I think the first 18 months we had a dozen odd governesses. I mean, they'd come out with one mail truck and they'd go back in with the back. <laughs> so Were you we boys probably, that hard to handle? Well, no, I don't think they just suited the job. Yeah. If you ask me. Yeah. <laughs>
we had all sorts of governesses. We, we had, um, so to say I'm not educated probably isn't right because I'm probably educated in a lot of different ways. <laughs> and um, it, was a, it was a great upbringing and um, we, um, I could go on all day with the, the jobs we had to do to make it all work. And, and uh, the, um, the, the stories that related around that. We had a lot to do with a couple of old um, full-blood and indigenous stockmen that Dad and the next-door neighbour used to share. And um, they were great old men. They, they were so close to us, we called them our uncles. And, and um, everything I know about the bush is probably from those old fellas. Um, and the Australian bush, especially the outback, it's just full of, full of signs, full of, you know, full of, um, you just, you, you just need to, need to stop and take notice and, and, and yeah, you know what's coming and you know what's about and you know what you got to get ready for, that all the signs are there. We walk around now, I just see people walking around now and they're just oblivious to what's about to happen. Mm. Yet the signs are all there pointing them in the face. You know, and I could go on and on and on. I, I tell the story about a little Jackie lizard we have in this part of the world. And it's a bit like you ask yourself why a lizard, you know, you'll see a lizard in the desert and there's nothing. You think, well, what's this? But, the, but he gives the desert life, doesn't he? He's there for a reason. He's there for a purpose. He's there, and that's what these old uncles pointed out to us. The Jackie lizard, for one thing, he's a little—he's our little guardian angel of the bush. And if you're sitting down having a cup of tea at a billabong, or you know, around the around the station, and you pull up and you boil your boil your quart pot or your billy, and, and if you're a little Jackie lizard, they're all they're they're everywhere. And you'll see one, they're inquisitive little fellas, and they'll come right up to you. They'll keep getting closer and closer. And when they get three or four foot away from you, they'll start standing on their back legs, and they'll kind of look at you this way and look at you that way. And, and then they'll get closer and closer. And if you, if you know how to do it, you can kind of just get your finger under his chin and scratch him on the chin, and he really likes it. And he kind of, it's like, anyway, then he starts to, then he starts to um, get closer and closer and he just loves having smoke with you um, but he's checking things out but the Jackie Lizard if if he's got a high-pitched screech that a lot of us can listen for and, and a lot of birds and all that but if there's a bad snake around he'll he'll be he'll be telling everybody he'll be telling all his friends the birds and everything and if it's a python or not a venomous snake, you won't hear him. Mm. He knows. And and um, if there's something else, he's letting them know. If you see a jackie lizard um, sitting on a stick, sitting on a stick, and he's standing up there, and his head's back, and he's waving with his right hand, he'll be going like that. And then you go on another 50 foot, and there'll be another one. And whichever way he's waving. Whether it's to the north or the southwest or the west, that's where the moisture change is coming from. Wow! Isn't that incredible? That's and they're science never wrong. in nature. They're never wrong. That's incredible. So if he's pointing out to the north and he's 
waving like that to the north. And these these things, they're just there's one thing after another in the Australian outback that we just don't take any notice of. But I grew up with all of this. And I you know, and these when I when I had to diversify to, to, to save our grazing lands, had to do something, I felt a real calling to, hey, we have to share our pioneering stories. Because our pioneers knew all this. They had to know all this. The mothers and the, the like, a man was useless here without a good wife. And he didn't have a good wife, so the mothers knew, the mothers knew all this. Absolutely knew they they had to, otherwise they would not have been sustainable here. Mm, mm. And um, uh, the saying is, if a man hasn't got a good mate with him, there's no, he, he would have never survived. So the the mothers are the unsung heroes. But all of these little things, our pioneers knew, and I just felt a real calling to 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 be sharing these. So I I probably I probably get a bit emotional about this stuff because there's a lot more to to the stories that we're telling through Outback Pioneers now and it's got it's got deeper and deeper and deeper because um, I feel that it's my calling to be putting it out there and to be you know and you touched on the kids before but I I just I just thank those parents so much for. Because it's not, it's not cheap to travel to the outback. It's a long, long way out of here. And, but, but to be given those kids, to me, it's their only chance of appreciating this real Australia and the, the, the real Australian spirit that made this country. I see all your emotions through your eyes as we, and I know that's hard for the listeners to actually pick up, but I really get how much you love it. You get me. Um, I just think it's um, the way you told that story about the Jackie lizard just is priceless because that little lizard, you know, it's part of our future, and all of, all of these creatures that we're we're eroding their homes away, and we don't in the city you don't see it like you see it in the bush here in the outback and. Um, Thanks for sharing that one. That's, mm. that, I think those that, that's a little example. Look, I mean, it's just, uh, it's an example. There's lots and lots of those, those um, signs or whatever you want to call them. But, you know, when I ride through the bush today and I'll see different things and I know what's around the corner. I know what to get ready for. And I know um, what to what to um, prepare for and not only me but I've got a I've got me boys behind me I've got me grandkids now and 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 I feel it's a real uh, a real sense of passing these stories down and this is what the Aboriginal people of this land that's how they did it, it was all through storytelling it was all through passing it passing through from the night skies to what it's telling us, to what it's, you know. Harry Redford, our car fame or infamous cattle duffer, he only did that to prove a point. He was a larrikin, he wasn't in it for the money. He was just, he did it to just show the silver tails that, hey, you're barking up the wrong tree, fellas. Mm. 
You know, I can, I'll prove to you that I can do this. And he did that. And he did it because he grew up with the Aboriginal people. He knew, he knew 12 different dialogues by the time he was 12 years old mm. of the Aboriginal people. Mm. And, you know, he knew every, every tribal land has another road map up there. Mm. It's all in the stars. In the stars. This star over here is this waterhole. This over here is this hunting ground. This is that, this is that. And that's why Aboriginal people can go and walk about. They can go walking about. Yeah. And they get the guide from the next land and he'll tell them, give them, a, give them the road map and away they go. But you know what? And, and Harry Redford, that's why they called him Captain Starlight. He navigated himself all through there. One of the, one of the most amazing accomplishments or feats that anyone's ever done. I was presenting at the Oklahoma Cowboys Museum. I got invited over there to tell them how we're, how we're, how we're doing things here with immersion tourism. And I'm over there and a fella asked me in the crowd, he said, can you tell me about the, 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 the cattle rustler, they call them rustlers over there, how he took that mob of cattle from, um, you know, right from Queensland, right down through Central Australia, down to South Australia. And I said, well, to be honest with you, we own the very station where he branded those cattle before he headed off with them. And I take people there to show them and all the rest of it. And I said, but he, but that's a that's a world-renowned story. Mm. And and the and the, the sad thing about it is, we're not telling our kids. Mm. We're not telling our own very own kids. Mm. And these stories, but at least with the families that bring their kids out here, they're getting a they're getting a they're getting an opportunity to see it, to feel it, to taste it. Smell it. To smell it and ask questions. I want to talk a little bit, Richard, about the type of person that lives here. What type of people? Do they need to be resilient? How do they survive? What makes Well, well them... you know, the biggest thing I I felt when I come when I brought the old ringer friend that worked for me father and you know, he was he was getting up there a bit, but he was working for me at the time. So I left my family and my three kids and my wife back home on the station to look after it. And I said, we're taking the stagecoach or the Cobbin Co to town and we're going we're gonna to start telling a story. And I'm taking Sandy, the old fellow, with me because um, I needed help. So Sandy had done a lot of camp oven cooking with his driving life. He'd been a driver all life. And, he knew out again, so he got the job of cooking the scones. Well, that was another. He never <laughs> cooked in an oven, but a camp oven. But anyway, it was um, that was another whole another experience. But um, he, I brought Sandy in, and, and um, uh, we. Oh, the biggest thing I had to cope with and learn was to deal with people, to talk to people. I was just a, I was a feral. <laughs> oh, I couldn't, I didn't know how to communicate with people. I felt I wasn't gonna, wasn't gonna win the challenge. I, I'd never given up until someone helped me. And I actually went and got help about it. And, um, of course it was depressing, it was, it was depressing me. I knew there was something was going wrong. And what, 
identified that I was an impact, impact person. Impact. Now, I don't really understand how that works, but I know I've, only, I've spent all my time with horses and dogs, and all my childhood I was practically with my horse. <laughs> and this might sound stupid, horse and jackie lizards, <laughs> it sounds a bit stupid, but I, I could think, I've got a stallion here that they blindfold me and I can stand him out there a hundred metres. And if I think hard enough, I can send him to the right, I can send him to the left and get him to come and stand on my shoulder. But it's all through, it's all through. Like the telepathy, you know. Yep. And I was doing that with my crowds of people. There'd be one people and the 20 people that were standing there to come on the, come on the experience with me uh, that wouldn't, wasn't happy or disgruntled or, you know, wasn't, and I would straight away pick up on that. Not that there was anything evident, but I was picking up on that. I'd spend all my time on that person trying to get that right. I forget about me 19 others, and that, that was my only problem. So I had to learn to cope with that. I had to learn to cope that I can feel somebody long before I see it. And it was all through my childhood upbringing. I just had to do that with animals. That's how you relate to animals. That's how you train a dog. That's how you train a horse. If you're not, if you're not connected in the brainwaves, mm. forget trying to train it. You can't do it with, 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 um, with a stick and spurs or whatever you so want to use. So communication has been a real key to you. I, 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 I'm 52 now, but I've, I, I, these are the things I've learned. And, and you know, it's amazing when it's pointed out to you and you, you, you understand it, how you can cope with it. And that's resilience for you. You've had to completely evolve, really, from farm life into it not city life, but a, a town and developing a fantastic business in tourism. It, it's... You know, it, with with Club and Co, we we have five in hand. That means five horses, and people don't understand. But the the biggest safety thing and the biggest thing with driving a team of horses, um, we hear all the old sayings. You know, we've got to be equally yoked, and we've got to be this, and we've got to work as a team, and we've got. That all comes from our pioneering days. They are real sayings. They are real words. We don't stop today to pull them apart and realise what they actually mean. But work as a team. I am, I am in touch, mentally in touch with each one of those in the team of horses. Mm. I'm in touch with um, whether it's Banjo, the horse up on the right lead or offside lead, or whether it's this horse or whether it's that horse, and I can talk to him and I can, I can but if I'm not, that's why it's so hard for me to get somebody to drive a team of horses for me with the right. So do you see it very deep stuff, but it's about it's about being in touch and I I've had to I've had to learn that and put it into um, controlling not controlling humans but communicating, communicating with with, with, human. with me human. We met you on one of your tours the other day down on the river and what drew me to ask you to this podcast is the way you communicated 
to me, you communicated in a, in a style that I really enjoy. It was sort of laid back, it was humorous, it was sometimes a little bit incorrect. I just really thought that you typified how, how I sort of, well, I just felt like I was in, a, in the country and I, you know, I loved it. You did a great job. And I think that the experience on the river, on the Thompson River with a, with no pee. Oh. <laughs> well, that, that's a little that's a little bit of a that's a little bit of a um, a known thing, I guess. And and I guess it's it's you don't too often see Thompson spelt without a p. So this one's spelt without a p. And yeah, that's someone that's smarter than me trying to work that out, but. I've probably borrowed that one. <laughs> <laughs> but there's no pee in the river. For me, that experience was wonderful. And to see Scotty up reciting poetry, I know what you're doing is a wonderful experience for people who are coming from the city or from a long way away. Yeah, and, and I'd like to, you know, I'd like to be very much um, no one for recognising me can. Like, without Scotty there, we, we probably can't tell a complete story. He's genuine and he's true, and people, people love him the bits because of that. Yeah, so and Scotty walks around with bare feet. Well, that's because he, he has got no option. He had an accident when he was a young fella and he had an accident when he was a young fellow off a horse and they worked out that he that he can't wear shoes it gives him vertigo and loses his balance and so he just got learnt he learned to go without shoes is probably how it should be anyway i guess so yeah but he he doesn't do that to bring attention to himself he does it because he has to do it. So it's just a genuine thing. It's something about Scotty, which makes yep. him a little bit different to everybody else out there. And and the way we all look at life that you look. <laughs> you know, Scotty gets offered a lot of uh, donations to buy shoes. You know, he makes a quite a pretty penny out of it. So it pays to not wear shoes out here. But I tried and all I got was a couple of feet full of prickles. <laughs> no one offered me anything. I think it's hard to find people to work out here, is that correct? We do find it tough because for somebody to fit into our team here, they've got to, they've got to really want to be here and they really have got to live and breathe it. Because it's no good myself and my family, my boys and Abigail and you know my wife, putting in what we put in if we're going to have someone that doesn't really care what's delivered. So Outback Pioneers, all is, and I tell this to my staff, it's all about customer satisfaction, not customer service, it's a lot more than that. It's about customer satisfaction. So if you're not going to come up to living and breathing it and be passionate about it, well, you probably don't fit the team. That's what makes it hard to work for Outback Pioneers, but once they're working for Outback Pioneers and they're part of, it's like working for a big, it's like a, we're all family and we tell the same story we're, we're, we're about customer satisfaction seeing those kids go away 
with a sense of pride that they are Australians and and you know that's what we're missing now. We we get a lot of oldies coming on packages and I mean we've got a we've got a, a package out there that we call it um yeah unleashed long reach it, it immerses of them from the accommodation we've built it immerses of them immerses them in their pioneering the pioneering stories what it took our pioneers to 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 be resilient to live out here to help each other it's the australian spirit it's the australian spirit i love it yep so richard i think i'm a really lucky person this week to have stumbled across you all because i convinced colin that we needed to do some tours out here and we have we had absolutely the most wonderful night with your team and the bonus is I get to talk to you firsthand here and find out a little bit more about Longreach and be able to share it with more people. Because Longreach has the Outback Pioneers, but it has the Qantas Museum, R.M. Williams Stockman. Um, well, the Australian the Stock Stockman's Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. Winton up the road, a couple of hours drive, uh, which we did yesterday with the Royal Theatre. There's so much here to do. Mm. Uh, a week isn't enough. We arrived on Sunday and it's not enough and we are leaving today. But we, I, I think I'll have to come back. Well, on that note, Richard Kinnan, thank you so much for joining us today on Aging Fearlessly and telling a very wonderful story. Well, I feel I haven't even really touched the surface, um, but I guess, you know, people are going to come and see it to believe it, and and not only see it, but feel it, taste it, and, and realise that us Australians have a spirit that binds us together and gives us our resilience and our, our ability to laugh at ourselves and just slap each other on the back and tell them it's all worth it. So that's like, I mean, it's about a mess in a minute. And our back point is, um, is what about that? Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for the tears. <laughs>
Let your heart be alive. 